Welcome to Big T Energy. I am your host, Tiffany Hart, with my co-host and best friend, Angie Nyland. And on today's episode, we have licensed psychotherapist and behavioral analyst, Dr. Erin Foster. And y'all, we asked her all of the relationship questions that we could think of. Like, how do I know when to leave a relationship and how much time I should give it? How do I trust myself again after an unhealthy relationship? How can we keep our sex life spicy after so much time together? How do I set and maintain boundaries in my relationship? How do I know when I'm being too picky or when I'm settling? And how do I heal from a divorce or major heartbreak? Well, we get all those answers and much more from a licensed professional. That's right. We are done sharing our fuck ups for the time being. And we had to ask the pros. So without further ado, let's get to one of my favorite episodes to date with Dr. Aaron Foster. I love those boots, by the way. These are my favorite. Where'd you get them? These are from Boot Barn. They are, I think they're, uh, they might be Justin's. I'm not, I'll have to double check. No, they're El Gringo. Are they? Yes. These are my favorites. I wear these every day with almost every outfit. I was going to say, I feel like it would go with a lot, especially because of the colors. Yeah. Um, How much were they? Do you mind me asking? Were they like thousands? No, no. Under 500. Oh, okay. So my mom came to Nashville and she, she like had her mindset on getting boots. And I was like, okay. And so I was asking, like, I don't really wear boots. I had never gotten any in Nashville yet. So I was asking all my friends and they were like, go to Broadway. There's a ton of like boot barns and everything else. All of them were like seven to $1,500. Yeah. It depends on what they're made out of, but yeah, boots are my thing. They are my signature look. I wear them <laughs> with business suits. I wear them with dresses. Funny story. Yeah. Well, funny to me. I was in Vegas years ago for a bachelorette party. Everyone's got these spiked heels. Uh I take three steps down the hallway at the hotel. Can't do it. Turn around, go back to the room. I've got cowboy boots on with this like smoking hot, tight little dress that my babysitter let me borrow. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And babysitter's like, here, you need this. You need this. And everyone was saying, Erin, put on nice shoes. These are my nice shoes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm cruising Vegas in my cowboy boots and this dress. And it was a big hit. I'm sure it was. Not only was it a big hit, I feel like that was probably the smartest decision that you made. I was happy. (laughs) Because her and I last night got like, you know, one of the girls that we were with who we had on a podcast yesterday, she's like, I'm getting dressed up. Let's all get dressed up. And we're like, okay. So we're all wearing heels. And the minute we're walking out, I'm like, I'm going to regret this. So of course we weren't, what, two hours maybe gone, like two and a half. And by the time we get back, we were like, get these shoes off of us. It's almost not worth it anymore. No. (laughs) No. I bring the good shoes when I'm sitting at work. So I'll cruise in in my vans and whatever nice outfit I have on. And then I only put the shoes on as I'm sitting there like being doctory. Like, yes, well, tell me more about that. (laughs) And then the second I leave, the suckers are off. Yeah. So you're just sitting in them and they look like it. That's so See, I would do that for that. I mean, honestly, right now I'm just wearing slippers. I walked around in the casino in slippers because... I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I guess I just always assumed that like doctors and stuff like you, you guys just get used to wearing heels all the time. You're just like your feet. You turn into like those Chinese girls who bind their feet up. 
where well, you're like used to it and it's all good. I have a theory that the zombie apocalypse will happen at any time mm-hmm. and I need to be able to run. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh okay. So, so footwear is imperative. Footwear is imperative. But I do have colleagues that will wear heels all day, will walk to and from their car up and down stairs. And they're just fine. I think their feet are desensitized. I, okay. I wonder that I figured, too. I figured that had to happen because there's no... There's no way anybody in their right mind could put up with that pain every day. I know. If it hurt every day. But now now that you mentioned the zombie apocalypse, though, I'm sitting there going, if I was wearing heels, that's going to be a weapon. Take it off. Stop Use it as a weapon. And think about it. When girls are drunk and they take off their heels, they'll walk barefoot. You know, places it, in some of the most disgusting places. Disgusting. Too, by the way. Oh, yes. I do that. How many yeah. times have I done that? I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm not doing this anymore. And like <laughs> rough terrain. So I know that if your adrenaline's kicking in, your feet are going to be able to like, yeah. basically like walk on fire at that point. And but when then, I'm drunk too, I can't feel it. Like on my feet, I can yeah. walk through like glass and be totally fine. I know. But then the next day, <laughs> next day, not you're so like, much. I absolutely regret this. So, well, for all the viewers who are like, oh my God, I love her boots. Now, you know, so there we go. <laughs> I was going to say right here. And if you guys are wondering who we have on, I'm actually really <laughs> excited about this today. And this, I think this is ends the entire trip on like a perfect note. I really do. So we have Dr. Aaron Foster here and cute. Like I'm going to butcher it all. Sorry. Right. Obviously you can talk about yourself way better than we can. Can you tell everyone what you do? Um, in your background a little bit. Sure. Happy to. Thank you for having me. This is really yes. fun. This was a nice way to close out a very busy week. Yes. So yes, I'm Dr. Erin Foster. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a licensed behavioral analyst. So I specialize in profiling and analysis and looking at behavioral style, motivational style, value systems. Why do people do what they do? From a behavioral standpoint, a personality standpoint, and then layering in what is the psychology or the mindset behind the behaviors so that we can create change, increase awareness. So I do private practice treating people individually, and then I work for corporations with management, uh, building leadership, creating alignment, increasing trust, and then working with families, family offices, multi-generational owned enterprises to improve communication, improve relationship so that we create what we call generational legacy. That's so cool. So those, in a nutshell, that's what I do. That's a lot. How did you even get into all that? Like what, what motivated you to like go down this path? And I mean, you have a lot of qualifications too. That is, that is an excellent question. And it was a little bit random, Mm -hmm. quite honestly. I, like all of us, went through a challenging time in my 20s. I mean, I think, quite honestly, your 20s are pretty horrible. Okay, good. I'm glad you're... Front to back, the 20s are just a nightmare. I learned a lot of hard lessons in my 20s. Hard, hard lessons. Spent a year pretty much doing nothing, surfing, having no money, not knowing what I was doing with my life and thought, well, why am I doing this? I want to figure this out. And the next logical thing in my mind was, I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to become a psychologist. So I went to grad school, loved what I was learning about psychology, decided to keep going and get my doctorate. 
I went into practice. I actually started out interning in a private practice and leading groups for girls, life skills groups for girls in high school. And from there, that turned into a private practice. Then I got certified in the behavioral analysis space. I had a patient who was a TV producer who said, could you do behavioral analysis for a TV show? I'm like, yeah, of course I could. So tell me more. She said, how you match people in corporations to improve performance. Could you create a matching system for couples to build a, a outcome in a relationship? I said, yeah, of course I could do that. So I went in, I met with the production company. I became the matchmaker for Are You the One? Wow. I say, why have I why have I heard of that show? Okay. I, had to... uh, I then did Naked yeah. Dating. Really? I then did Love at First Flight. Wow. And I this was all consulting behind the scenes on the production side. Okay. And then I met Dr. Drew, I think at a wedding. And he asked me what I did and I told him, he said, you got to come on the show. So then just being on, I got asked back, I got asked back, I got asked then to be on The Doctors, I then got asked to be on Crime Watch Daily, I then got asked to do Take Part Live, it just, it just kept like going. Like snowballed from there. It just, it wasn't planned, I didn't try to do it, it just happened. And then I was invited to an event, a fundraising event, and I was seated at a table next to the EVP of City National Bank. And he said, what do you do? And I said, well, this is what, here's what I do by trade. Yeah. And then here's what I do at work. And he said, I would love to have you come in and do profiling for the bank. Wow. So I came in, I did that. I led a training, which then led to them asking me to do more trainings, which then led to the bankers asking me to come in and do consulting for their clients. And again, it just took off. So that's incredible. None All the doors that it opened. None of these things were planned. Yeah. They weren't things that I pursued. They were just doors that opened mm -hmm. and I walked through them and was present and willing to go with whatever presented itself. But what a, what a unique way too, to use those skills. Do you know what I mean? Because I never would have thought any of that. In some How sense. to put it all together. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So when you look at the three different things I do, none of them go together. Yeah. But the common thread is you can apply behavior okay. to any of those three buckets. Yeah. And it really does all come down to how do you choose to behave based on what you think in mm. either of those three types of work? Yeah. So what would you say then is the overall consensus, like the overall message that you are pushing out, giving out like the information in, in all of these, is there like a general, I guess, message that you're giving out? Like, Hey, this is what you do when you're being treated this way. Do you see what I'm saying? Like anything helpful in that my, aspect? Yes. My general message is if you can, and this is very difficult, if you can slow yourself down and really assess what am I thinking, what am I feeling as a result of that, then how am I choosing to behave? You actually can get, have total control 
over your life. You can have total control, empowerment, and quite frankly, peace. If you are able to just stop and assess, what is the motivation behind my behavior? And if you can get behavior in control, then there really isn't a reason to have any kind of fear or worry in any situation. God, that's so true. I wish I, I wish I would have heard that years ago. But then again, I think to myself, I don't know if I would have been able in a spot to receive it because I was the type of person where I had to control everything because for some reason I thought that that was going to bring me peace. But in reality, it made me go insane. It, I like, I tried to grip the hell on my life so much that I was literally felt like I was spiraling out of control, even though I was trying to control everything, but I was trying to control everyone around me except for myself. Because then you don't have to feel. Correct. Because I was taught how not to feel, if that makes sense. And when I did feel, I was taught to feel only anger. Right? Because anger was what? Anger, well, anger was the tough emotion. Anger was the one that I feel like my family had an easier time showing. Family, anger was the one that I could show the guys at work and not be called a pussy or being an emotional woman, right? Um, my dad also, when I was younger, told me that crying was for babies and that if I was going to be crying, that I was now going to show people my weakness and then give them a reason to try to take advantage of me. So like it took me 34, 35 years to get to a point where I was like, my, my counselor was like, crying is okay. And I was sitting there being like, I don't feel like it is. He's like, but it is. And so I'm actually curious your take on this because I hear a lot that um, anger traditionally is masking an entire other emotion underneath it, like fear. Anger is really fascinating. Yeah. So it sounds like for you, anger was safe. It was safe. And Mm -hmm. anger was about Mm self-preservation. If you were angry, then you had these walls that would preserve whatever was going on underneath. And therefore, I don't have to feel what's actually behind it. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big advocate of anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. And what is anger? What's behind anger? Is it fear? Is it intimidation? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? So if we can stop and look at what is going on behind it, then we can increase our awareness of what anger actually represents or the purpose it serves. Anger also falls into categories of typology with behavior and personality. So for example, on the Enneagram, which is what I use, the Enneagram type eight is a person who is very direct. They're a leader. They're a go-getter. They have the hard exterior and they use anger to shield how incredibly sweet, sensitive, generous, and loyal the eight actually is. Now, how you use anger has to do with how self-aware and how developed you are in your self-awareness. If we're looking at anger from a behavioral standpoint, we have four different types of behavior. The dominant type, the emotion associated with it is anger. And it's not because of hatred. It's actually about frustration in not being able to produce a result and frustration that there may be limiting factors out of your control 
that create a productive, efficient forward motion. So anger is fascinating because it's uncomfortable. The trick is, can you stop, drop in and feel the discomfort and from a logical place say, what is happening and what can I do about it? Then anger is contained and then anger can actually become energizing and productive. Mm-hmm. It, it took me a very long time to get to that place to the point to where I realized that when I, I, so I noticed with my boyfriend and I sometimes when I get into a moment of insecurity and sometimes insecurity is fueled by fear mm-hmm. and it's fueled by fear of the unknown fear from my past if that repeats itself, right? And traditionally these times will happen during like the time when I'm about to start my period mm-hmm. and I get very emotional. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm very highly sensitive and I feel like it's clockwork. Cause he looks at his, you know, he looks at the time, <laughs> like, that time bro. And so I, I remember the first time it happened, I was angry and I remember telling him, um, and I know I vocalized things to him and I felt like I was doing it in a way that was explaining how I felt, but he felt like I was mad at him and like he was doing something wrong. And then later on I was like, you know what? That's, I'm not mad at you. I'm actually afraid. I feel really fearful right now. And then once I was able to articulate that, he was now able to help, right? Because I think sometimes when you're met with anger or aggression, it's it seems like it's sometimes very easy to get defensive and want to explain yourself, which I know that when you're trying to share emotions, that's the last thing that you want to hear, at least for me sometimes. So it sounds like the fear was actually about vulnerability. Uh, yeah, I have a hard... So that was towards the beginning And so, um, it's sitting there having to explain, yeah, I guess my vulnerable feelings because it is still, while sometimes it feels very easy, also still sometimes feels very foreign. And so, um, it got to the point to where now when I can articulate these things, uh, I can say it with the fear or the vulnerability or with some tears and it's met with, um, with comfort and empathy and love And so it's good that way, but it, you know, um, it's interesting too, because I talked to my dad when I was home for the holidays and, um, he was really mad and he was explaining everything that he did because of his anger, you know, like the way he talked to people and cursing out people or whatever. And I, and this is one thing I had to learn and I felt weird telling my dad this, but I was like, dad, it's okay to be angry, but you still have control of what you do with that anger though. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that is something that you do have control of. I was like, it's okay to have emotions and feelings. Cause that's what I had to tell myself. Like, it's okay to feel things, but you can't excuse what you do to it because of your emotions. Like you still have control over that. And then telling him too, that I feel, feel like there's something based, like there's something deeper than just anger, right? Like for him, I think it is fear too, because he, I think he need, he thought he was gonna be retired at this point and he's losing his hearing and he's getting older and do you know what I mean? And him and him and my mom are now having to rekindle the relationship now that all the kids are out of the house. And I think there's a lot burdening him sometimes and it comes across in anger instead of the emotions. The key with not just anger, any emotion is constructive versus destructive. So it is okay and you have to feel what you feel because the right side of the brain is where the feelings are processed and the left side of the brain is logic and linguistics. So if you don't give a word 
to the emotion that is coming up, the right side of the brain just starts spinning. And it can't process what's happening in a logical way in order to be constructive. And so what happens is the emotions become locked in our body and start to manifest themselves physiologically. And if you don't have the increased awareness of what to do with it, then the emotion can become destructive. And I always tell people, anger is okay as long as you're constructive with it. As long as you are using it to increase your awareness of what's behind it and then what you can do to move forward from it or through it. I think dropping in and through is one of the hardest lessons we have to learn Mm -hmm. with emotions. What would you recommend for someone who's in a relationship with someone who is displaying a lot of anger in, in a really unhealthy way? Like, so I think sometimes, like, especially with our audience, there's a lot of questions of how long should I stay? What should I endure? How do I know when to leave? We actually get that question a lot is how do I know when to leave? Because I think that there is a struggle between giving it enough time, right? To like see if you actually have tried everything that you can to see if the relationship has worked versus staying long enough to where you lose yourself and it starts to like eat you alive, Mm -hmm. right? And it becomes maybe abusive or bad, right? And so I know that we have our own like things that we've learned throughout the years, (laughs) but that's just things that we've learned through fuck ups traditionally. Mm -hmm. Making a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would love to hear what you as a professional would say about that. Okay. Let's, I think I heard a couple questions. I want to make sure I remember them. I'm going to break it down first into our three big no-nos. Abuse, addiction, and affairs. Okay. Okay. Those are our three big no-nos. If there are not healthy corrective actions taken with accountability and follow through, those are deal breakers. Those are deal breakers. And I'm not saying they can't be overcome. And I'm not saying people can't grow. Uh, But if they are displaying through behavior that they are not willing to grow, change, get healthy, that's a hard stop. How long do you typically give them for that? Excellent question. I had, I, no, I asked myself this a lot Excellent question. Because yeah. I know that's me. Is like, okay, well, they're going to. Like, they say they're going to. And then they show, like, maybe a sign of trying. And then all of a sudden, it's like 10 steps back. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. are they trying? Or, like, when do you be like, okay. Okay, so that's about boundary setting. And a boundary is different than an ultimatum. An ultimatum is often used as a threat. A boundary is meant to keep you safe It's meant to keep other people safe, but it's also meant to stand your ground and to know who you are and to not compromise. So it's perfectly appropriate to say, I am saying no to this. This is toxic. This is unhealthy. If you get help by, then we can continue the conversation and then you meet and say, but there has to be accountability. There has to be therapy and a 
a mutually agreed upon timeline with benchmarks. Okay, so you literally, you do give them a date. I will give dates. Okay. I will do contracts. I will have benchmarks. Okay. I will have an agenda. I, I kind of call myself the anti-therapist. Um, I'm not about, oh, let's just sit and talk about this. No, so I'm about solutions. Okay. I'm about results. I'm about creating change. I'm about living your best fullest healthiest self yeah and you could get caught up in process for years and years no we got to see so we're looking for measurable change if there is an agreement on these are the steps that are taken and there is follow through and there are goals that have been met okay that's a reason to then say okay now here's our next set but you always have a timeline with measurable goals okay. and benchmarks that need to be met. The other piece to this, and this is, it's not exclusive to women, but I think it is primarily related to women, is not doubting yourself, mm. not doubting your intuition, not doubting your knowing your inner knowing. Mm -hmm. Because women, I think, not just through families, but societally, we have been taught to ignore what we know is our truth. I agree. So the other coaching, I'll call it, I don't like to say the word advice, the coaching I will give is, can you get comfortable with identifying what you are feeling in your body? And what I mean by this is, can I be comfortable just being in my skin, being quiet and noticing like, ooh, my, my, my stomach hurts. Ooh, it's tight. Ooh, it's cramping. Can I breathe into that? And if I breathe into it and sit with the feeling and think about it, I might realize, ooh, my body is telling me this is unsafe. Mm -hmm. This is an unsafe place to be. The other reason I always encourage women to really drop into the body physiologically is solar plexus for women is our power center okay. and our sense of identity. Mm -hmm. Heart, throat, mind, uh, really like oh i have a headache i have a headache every time i'm around him mm. why do i have a headache what is going on here your body will intuitively tell you <laughs> run <laughs> when when something is unsafe oh i learned oh do you remember me talking about that this, the singer, one of the singer guys I was talking to. And every single time I was around him, I was sick. I couldn't sleep. My face would break out. I had massive amounts of anxiety anytime he was in my life. And then eventually later on, I was like, that was a sign that I completely ignored. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. So knowing when to leave, there's several parts to it. Do you have yeah. any of the three big no-nos? So abuse, affair, and... Addiction. addiction. The three A's. Okay. That's the easy way to remember it. Okay. Uh, the second part is, am I listening mm -hmm. to myself? Am I listening to my intuition? Am I trusting myself? And then the third is, do the words 
and the actions match up. Okay. I have a question for you about the second one. So with you saying, listen to yourself and your intuition, I feel like over the years, I, that has been quieted down. I do think partly because I've hushed it. Um, but also because I've been told I was being crazy, right. From exes and stuff mm-hmm. like they, I've had intuition and I've had these feelings and hunches. And then of course, when you bring them up, it's always like, Oh my God, you're crazy. And it was the whole gaslighting yep. happens. Right. When in, in, in the end I've been right, which is when I'm like, okay, now I notice that. So I'm a self-sabotager and, uh, basically healing from that and trying not to do that anymore. And my biggest thing was to make a long story short. Um, I grew up in fear of just being in relationships and love my whole life, mainly because too, I had a father who was trying to protect us. But at the same time, he was like, every single guy just wants to fuck you. That's the only thing they're going to use you for. And so unfortunately I built up this huge wall and this fear of being involved in a romantic relationship because I might just have my heart broken. And then in the end I picked the wrong man anyway right? Not the men who truly love me, but the men who were abusive or had affairs or anything of that sort and had addictions. And then I ended up getting my heart broken anyway. So it kind of manifested itself. Right. And I also have this fear of abandonment that I believe happened as a child. So a lot of times when I would have a good man in my life, I would sit there and see that and get so fearful that I would sabotage it and push him away. Um, and so it got to the point to where like, I've had to really work on that a lot to where now in my life, I still get those feelings sometimes. Um, I think that it is those feelings. So I guess I'm trying to determine what's the difference between my my brain, like wanting to self-sabotage something because of the fears that might come up and go, ooh, like I think I might be getting hurt versus like my my intuition Mm. that I'm listening to. Good. So that's about challenging the validity of what you are thinking. Okay. Is it rational or is it irrational? And what's my evidence to support this? So, am I, oh, you're being crazy. Okay, give me an example of something that, the event, something that may have happened for for a guy to, to trigger the, you're crazy. Um, thinking that he was talking to another woman. Okay. So, where in your intuitive self did you pick up that signal um i the craziest part is i never have ever had any feeling to look through a phone and every single time that i had i found them talking to another woman and it was this crazy overwhelming feeling in my body of not like a fear or not like something from the past where like oh i need to look and like have control over someone it was just like you should look and every single time i did it was blatantly obvious evidence that he was okay so the event is he's talking to somebody else the thought the event is he's gaslighting you the thought is he must be talking to someone else the feeling was what i mean well the feeling was fear fear okay and then the evidence was that i actually found out he was he was in fact doing it Mm -hmm. so Put the whole cycle together. Rational or irrational? That's rational. Valid or invalid evidence? So that was valid. Okay. So, so can I give you one more then? That's a lot more blurry. Okay. Kay. Well, but to wrap it yes, up, um, I'm not ma'am. 
Sorry, <laughs> I say sir, ma'am. I'm military. It's a habit. Um, to so, do you have reason to believe that you could trust yourself with accuracy? That I did, but then I was convinced not to trust myself. If that made sense, okay. because later on it was, um, it was what you saw was not true. Ask them yourself. I can't believe you would think this. Like, cause there was no like super, I mean, I didn't catch them in the act. It was just talking, right. Uh, inappropriate talking, but still it was just like, and then it was like, Oh, it was for my friend. It was for my buddy. And then he would get his buddies to lie for him too. And then it got to the point to where I was like, well, like, I don't know. I'd be like, I'd be like, I guess I gotta trust him. I guess I gotta believe him, you know, because I don't really have any other evidence. And I don't want to, I guess in a sense, I didn't want to drive myself crazy looking for everything else. So, so this is an issue of not valuing your self-worth. Yeah. I doubting do. your self-worth. Mm -hmm. But this is why you're learning to trust your intuitive instinction is so important because it will guide you. You're... We are designed for survival. We are designed to increase our awareness in order to survive. So your true authentic self is never going to betray you. It's the trick is challenging the validity of the belief awake. Even though that was true, is it not true now? That That's about thought stopping. That's about uh-uh, nope, I already have my evidence. I trusted myself. I'm sticking with that. And the way you learn to create change is by imprinting what do I feel as a result of knowing you were correct and accurate. What was the feeling? That, you mean like during the time when I was finding all that? Yep. I mean, if anything, I felt sick to my stomach and like I've been betrayed and that how am I supposed to stay in a relationship with a man I can't trust? Yes, as part of the, okay. The of, it's mainly a huge feeling of fear still. When you had the evidence and it was rational mm -hmm. and logical, mm -hmm. what was the feeling? Well, that was right. And that yeah. I, like, it was like, oh, wow. But it, it was scary though, because I didn't want to be right, if that makes sense. Like, I got that. Fo let's focus for a second on the, oh, I was right. Mm -hmm. What was the, what is that feeling when I say that? It makes me feel like I could trust myself. Okay. Take a breath. Mm -hmm. What? Breathe that in. I can trust myself. <laughs> Where does that feeling go? Um, <laughs> I really did not want to cry. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess I never been. Oh goodness, I never been able to trust myself. So I guess it was a thing um, where I was still down it at the moment. I think the biggest thing I've had to, um, to learn is that I can in my t intuition. Okay. It was having the belief and faith in myself. Take that in with a breath. So mm -hmm. the breath is really important. Linking breath and thought is important because when we breathe, it tells our brain to release serotonin mm -hmm. and serotonin feeds our sense of calm and yeah. our sense of confidence. So take that in with a breath. Trust. I can trust myself. Yeah. Where does it go in your body? Where do you notice it going? 
I mean, I feel it. I feel a sense of calmness in my heart and in my stomach. Like I, I, the, I think one of the worst feelings is like when you find that stuff, you have that pit, that drop in your stomach where it's like one of the worst feelings in the world. Yep. And when you can finally feel like that's gone and you feel at ease in your own self and you're like, okay, we got this. We're good. Like, cause I think one of the biggest things I had to learn after my marriage was it's not trusting other people. It's trusting myself. That's right. That's what I still have to do is I'm learning. I have to trust myself because when I feel like if I put, have to like say, I have to trust other people, I'm putting like my faith and control on them. But I, the biggest thing is I can't control their people. The only thing I control is what I do and how I react. And if I set boundaries and if I leave when it's time. You can control if you trust mm -hmm. in your heart, stomach, remember power center, self-worth for women. Mm -hmm. Is there space now after just doing that brief little exercise, just noticing like physiologically in those two areas, is there space? Mm -hmm. Definitely feel it in my heart right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if there is space, then there is capacity to make choices. Mm -hmm. And when we increase our capacity to tolerate and move through discomfort, challenge the validity, if it isn't valid, if there is rational evidence to support you are correct and you let go, now you've got space. You have space for what you want. Now you have power and control to create or invite in what you do want. Mm -hmm. But you have to first get rid of what you don't want. Yeah. So practicing that noticing with breath what do I feel, where, and why? That's where you create the change in the brain. I can trust myself. Mm -hmm. I can trust myself. Hmm. That's something I've been really trying to work on. I need to work on that. <laughs> so we can actually improve neural synapsing, which is where neurons go to different parts of the brain to send different messages. We can actually create healthy feedback loops in the physiological synapsing based on correcting our thoughts and then tying together corrective thoughts with what we are physically and emotionally feeling. Mm -hmm. How powerful is that? That's yeah. You want control? There's your control. Absolutely. So you just do it by breathing and like just thinking about it and changing your thoughts basically so, just being like intentional with what you're thinking and it quite simply yes okay it like okay. now I'm like how can I work on this that <laughs> okay doesn't mean it's not work right yeah. it's practice yeah. it's work I've had to do it too if you think of it in steps and this isn't a magic bullet it's not right away but it does actually shift your perspective. The more you do it, the faster your perspective shifts. So the steps are identify, process, let go. What does that mean? Stop, identify. What am I thinking and what am I feeling? What is that about? Is it rational? Is it irrational? 
What's my evidence to support what I'm thinking about? If it's irrational, for example, what's the corrective thought? And then you just redo the steps. So let's let's play with like a example of an irrational one. Or or we can make one up if we want to. I guess an irrational one could kind of be like what you were talking about with like in your past relationships from like carrying those things over to all of a sudden you just have like an irrational fear. Like you have, there's no evidence, there's no nothing supporting that anybody's doing anything wrong, but you just get that like. Like they're going to hurt me or they're going to cheat on me or something. Yeah. Or looking for something when when it's not there. Yeah. Let's well let's do let's do value and self-worth because I think that's a big one for women. Okay. And I have a little like cheat cheat chart chart chart. Oh my god. (laughs) It's the end of the week. (laughs) A cheat sheet chart that I could send to you guys. Yeah. Um that just lays out the steps. That'd be amazing. Because yeah. <laughs> we'll I'll never remember it. I know. My brain sucks. We'll put it on the Patreon like, for you all. <laughs> yeah, we'll put it up. Yeah. Uh, so um, let's use, oh, I caught him cheating. I I must have deserved that. Mm, I've Yeah, I've said that. So, okay, let's do that cycle. I caught him cheating. I must have deserved it. Oh, no, no, no. Let's do, let's do, um, you're crazy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a very good one. Yep. <laughs> um, so you're crazy. Well, well, am I? Am I crazy? Well, I must be crazy because I don't really value or trust my thoughts or he doesn't he doesn't value my input in the relationship. Therefore, it must be me. Yeah, yeah, it's me. Oh, yeah. Look at all these things I've done. Look at all these times I've overreacted. Oh, yeah, I'm crazy. I'm just a crazy girl. Oh, I'm getting my period. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm the problem. I'm crazy. Rational or irrational? I feel like that's kind of irrational. Irrational. Not valid. Yeah. That's just going off of what other people are, well, what somebody else is trying to tell you. What somebody is attempting to project onto you. Mm-hmm. And convince you of. And convince you of. What's the reframe? You mean how to turn that around? Yep. Um, I might be going through my period right now, but my feelings are valid. And I'm not crazy. I have emotions. And I'm just trying to share them and it doesn't seem that they like them. So therefore they might be using this against me and we need to have a conversation about this. And I'm not being heard or validated, which is what happens in a respecting partnership. Mm. Yeah. So that is how you challenge the validity of a belief or a thought and shift the emotion. Because what changed, I mean, you just like, everything about you shifted just talking it through. Oh, I've been working through that. <laughs> yeah. So what changed what changed when you challenged an irrational thought? I mean, I think the biggest thing is the faith and still trust in yourself. Mm-hmm. Every single time it feels like when you do get challenged with this or you're called crazy or delusional, 
it, it makes you, it makes you doubt yourself. And then therefore doubting yourself then makes you in turn believe what they're saying. And then it continues on in this narrative where not only do you not believe that your feelings are valid, but you start to think that you are crazy and that you maybe start to even overlook or like overthink everything else that you're doing. So name calling projecting Mm -hmm. is about flooding in order to create destabilization. So flooding is when there are too many emotions coming up all at the same time that you literally cannot connect with the logic, which then creates destabilization. And if you're a personality type that seeks self-preservation and wanting to be heard and validated, then you will tend, I don't want to say always, but you will tend to then go with what they are saying in order to create stabilization, even though it's not real. Okay. So that's what that tactic is about. When somebody immediately deflects and becomes defensive, that's your signal they're not listening or caring about your perspective, which means your feelings are threatening them because somewhere deep down they know they are the one who's actually in the wrong. Is that why sometimes they resort to name calling and like, so getting like, you know how like we're talking about a topic, but then all of a sudden it turns into them maybe putting you down as a person Mm -hmm. that might not even have to do with the conversation or bring up other things that they, that they, I mean, they literally are trying to tear you down. They do that as a point of deflection because they're afraid of dealing with like their emotions. So therefore they're putting things on you and they want to tear you down or so there are several there are several types of of shutting a person down which is about so there's there's gaslighting there's deflecting there's criticism there's stonewalling what you're talking about is contempt or okay. or disdain mm-hmm. so those tactics are used when somebody is not willing to take a look at their self and identify what's being triggered in them, is it some unresolved issue they have from childhood or trauma or, or an experience in a previous relationship, but it's, it is about, I am not willing to tolerate your feeling. I'm not willing to hear your perspective and understand where you're coming from. I don't want to feel what I'm feeling, maybe because I'm in the wrong. So those are the tactics used to push it back and create confusion. Because if your partner is confused, they can't make decisions. And if your partner can't make a decision, then you're controlling them and manipulating them. And that is toxic and dysfunctional. And that is a sign. Cut and run. Really? Interesting. So I was actually going to follow that <laughs> up with another question. Let's say that your partner recognizes they have a fear of abandonment or a fear of rejection, right? Um, I used to do this when I was younger. Is if I was in a relationship and I would get fearful and especially a fear of abandonment, I would say, you know what? Let's just end this. Like we're done. And I would end it. 
um, because I was so fearful. But but then in turn, I lost them, which then triggered and fueled my fear of abandonment. Right. Because I was like, how could they how could they leave me when I pushed them away? You know what I mean? So what you were doing was behaving in a way that proved your invalid thoughts were real. Correct. So I worked really damn hard on that. And so let's just say if you have someone who does recognize that they do that and that they do need to seek out help. Um, so you have to, you have to sit there and go, okay, I need to look at their actions. Is that correct? You're saying, especially if I set a boundary, I need to give a timeline as well. Because what I have, I have not, I feel like I haven't done timelines in the past because and this was my thought process and this could be totally wrong as I think to myself, if I let them know, like they say they need to get therapy or they said they're going to get therapy. I say, Hey, I'm going to hold you to that. I hope you do because our relationship does, you know, hinge on that and you improving upon this because if you think you're going to keep threatening to leave me and then you think I'm going to stay, that's not going to happen. And it's not something I'm going to put up with, but I never, I have not given like timelines I guess in a sense, because part of me wants to see what they'll do. Mm -hmm. But then I also sit there to myself and I have to go, well, I want to see what they have to do. What if they want to do it on their own? Cause they're, you know, a big boy and a, and a grown adult. And if they're not willing to take the steps to do it themselves, then I know that in my head, I can only wait so long, but they know that too. I guess I'm just not giving them like, you have to do it by you know, Mar March or April 1st. Does that make sense? Well, I think it comes down to, is this person worth it? Okay. Is this person worthy of me? Is there a valid reason to stay, to give the person a second opportunity? Okay. So let's look at it from the perspective of what are the stakes? Mm -hmm. All right, if you're married and there are children and there is family and there is potential for future stakes are a lot higher that's a better reason to implement and the person says I admit there's a problem I'm ready and willing to do the work to change and grow that's a good reason to stay if in fact the words and the actions are followed through with measurable goals in a specific agreed upon time frame is the person worth it? If there's nothing at stake, then it becomes a question of, well, why am I staying? Am I staying to rescue? Am I, am I staying because this is going to make me a better person? Am I staying because I don't think I deserve better? Mm -hmm. So that's where you can start to put in your timeline for yourself. Like maybe, maybe you have to take a time out and say, I need to take a time out for a month. Uh, here are my requests. My requests are you follow through with getting therapy and come back to me in a month and show me what's changed. Okay. That's appropriate too. Yeah. But my suggestion is always, what's at stake? Like, is it my ego? Is it my pride? What's my motivation? If there aren't children or a marriage involved. Okay. So let me ask you this then. With that, 
let's say if you look at the whole person concept, like you're looking at them as a whole person mm -hmm. and they're, they have done a lot of work on themselves and there's a lot of good in them and it's a very healthy relationship, but there's, there's a few things, right? Mm -hmm. I guess that's where I, I try to look now because my biggest thing is I'm looking at, I try to look at the reality of the person, not who I think they can be, mm -hmm. which is what I looked at all, all the time in the past. I would see the good in them and want to stay for the good that they might possibly show me but that wasn't the reality. So I look at the reality right now, how they treat me, how they love me, have they done work in the past? Are they continuing to do work right now? Have these things that I brought up, are they being improved upon and the things that they said they would improve upon? Have they done that? Yes, they have. But there's like a couple things, right? And one could be, you know, a little bit bigger. Is that something that you sit there and go, I really value this relationship and this person. So therefore I want to give it some time to work out. Um, even if we're just dating, right? And then I guess in a sense too, I guess if you are just dating and you just look overall and you see like all these major things, then that's when you have to sit there and go, okay, so am I staying to rescue them? Am I staying for ego? Am I staying because I don't feel like I'm worthy? Is that what you're trying to say? I think the question becomes, am I bleaching the flags? Okay. The red flags, yeah. Oh, okay. Am I, I like, bleaching the red <laughs> yeah. flags? Should bleach them to where they're not like pink. Are they pink? White? Oh, they're they're not red. They're yeah. pink. Like, so you have to really be in a place where you can confidently, calmly, and rationally assess situational awareness. Mm -hmm. Let's assess what is happening. So. What's the overall health or the thing of the relationship? Um, are the red flags, and there's always going to be a flag, sure. but doesn't mean is, it's whether or not the flag is a deal breaker. Is the flag or is the, the, the small piece, is it manageable? Is it workable? Is it, you know, is it something like, he says he's picking me up at seven and he constantly comes at 7.30, right? Like that could be worked on, mm -hmm. not a big deal, right? Is it, he says he's gonna pick me up at seven and he shows up 10 and he's three sheets to the wind. Mm. Okay, that's, that's a different problem. Cause you start to look for the A's, right? So you start to, you start to justify. Okay. Are you justifying bad behavior with good enough behavior mm -hmm. and therefore ignoring the flags or compromising on your deal breakers? So that takes being very clear with who am I and what don't I want for either men or women. I say, look at what you don't want. And are those the things that are coming up? Mm -hmm. Well, that's an indication that you need to pay attention to whether or not it is worth investing the time, because that's something you can never get back, mm -hmm. to see if this relationship might go somewhere. And is the time just dependent on how you feel or, or what you're willing progress. to give? Because I'm, sure I'm sure people are going to ask like, well, what's a good amount of time that you give? Because I think sometimes as humans, we want to have like, you give it six months. And if it's not this by then, this is what you do. But I don't really think that's always the case. I don't think it's always black and white cookie cutter. Yeah. 
it, it really depends on what are your short and long-term goals. Okay, so those are those can be met and object and then what's your objective? So objective is ongoing. Objective like is something you're constantly moving towards. So what's your objective and within your objective what are the short and long-term goals? So, how much risk reward are you willing to tolerate with your time within those three areas? Mm -hmm. And that's a question that has to be very personal and individualized based on, and this is my opinion, based on how self-aware are you? What are you, and and so it's personalized. It Mm -hmm. could be for one person, I need to see change in this area within a week. Like you need to have made an appointment with a therapist within a week, Mm -hmm. right? And then there's no excuses. For someone else, they might be willing to take a month before that happens. But I think it really does come down to increasing your self-awareness and knowing what, what is it that you don't want? What is it you ultimately want? What is it short and long? So a scenario that I've personally gone through is my boundary was like, you need to go to therapy in order for us to work on this. And like, I had some things that I had set as boundaries that were no-nos, like breaking things, punching walls, like doing all this stuff. So then they started therapy like I asked, but then they came back and said, oh, my therapist said that's a you problem. It's okay for me to punch holes in walls and break things because I'm not doing it to anybody. And that's something that like you need therapy for because that's on you. And like just turned everything that I said was like an issue that I had that I wanted them to work on. It was like, oh, my therapist said that's fine. My therapist said that's just the way that I act because I have abandonment issues. So it's okay for me to threaten to leave every time I'm upset and do all these things that I, that's just something you need to work with me on. And it just seems very manipulative. I was, I and said, then that I like question like myself. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> that sounds like I'm a child. Like, so I'm like, okay, so am I wrong? And then I'll talk to my mom and I'm like, you know, he, he says his therapist said that that's fine because, you know, he's not punching me. He's just punching the walls and breaking things. And I'm like, I don't feel like there's any therapist that would ever be like, no, that's okay. That's healthy for you. That's how you're processing your anger. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. No. But then I, I feel crazy because I'm like, Maybe I am wrong. Like, I don't know, because if a therapist is saying it, but I can't see a therapist saying it, but I'm not a therapist. So I'm just like, I feel like I'm all over the place with it. I'm just like, And what? how do you know if you're not hearing it directly from the therapist? That's and that's how I feel, because I'm like, I just don't I just don't trust it. But then I feel bad for like when I say that I don't trust it, then they're just like, oh, so you don't believe me. And it turns into a whole oh, nother thing. Oh, you don't trust the therapist. I'm, you think you're better yeah. than the therapist? Oh, you yeah. think I'm lying? And it's like, yeah, because I just don't feel like that's something that a therapist would ever say. Because I don't think anybody in their right mind would be like, yeah, that's healthy when you're mad to just start breaking shit. Like, that's okay. Well, the bottom line is you made a request that he honor a boundary that creates safety in the relationship for you to trust him. And that statement is basically, F you, I don't want to honor your request. I'm, I want to be selfish and childish yeah. and do what I want to do. That's not loving partnership. Loving partnership is when you say, this isn't okay with me. Yeah. And this is why. And my request is that this behavior changes. And they say, no, I'm going to do it anyway. 
Well, yeah, that's kind of how I felt. And like, for me, it's like, you know, maybe if I didn't have a daughter, it would be something that I'd be willing to work through. But I'm like, to have a four-year-old, I don't want my daughter asking me like, oh, what, what's that noise? What's going on? You know what I mean? Like my daughter shouldn't have to hear that. So I'm like, for me, that's not going to be a thing. So it's just very frustrating. That's a deal breaker for you. Yeah. For them to come back and be like, oh, well it should be a thing because my therapist said that's totally fine. So I am like stuck with like, is it, or am I like, am I just thinking that like I'm asking to, you know what I mean? I'm just like, does it make you worry or wonder that if the person's willing to like punch walls or do things when they're upset that eventually that wall will be me. And that's what I've said before. I'm like, okay, so what happens when there's not a wall to punch and I'm the only thing standing there? Like, and they're like, Oh, I can't believe that you would ever even suggest that. And it's like, well, if you're so angry, you have to hit something. If there is that poor impulse control, and that much childish deflection and lack of taking responsibility, how can you believe you're not next? That's, yeah, that's my thing with it. That's like and, my no-no with it. Because I've been in that relationship before where I have been, like it's always started out as, you know, hitting a wall or hitting something and then it always escalates further. So that's why it was a boundary for me. And then- for them to be like, oh, no, my therapist says it's totally fine. The I'm correct like, yeah. response, the healthy, mature response is, I talked about it with my therapist so that I have accountability, so they can give me some tools and resources to start correcting that behavior. Babe, I'm so sorry. You must feel terrified when I do that. That is a immature, childish, lack of control response. I would never want you to feel that way. I'm going to take a time out the next time I'm so angry and I want to hit something. I'm going to stop and go for a walk and get myself regulated. That would be a correct response. And then if you saw follow through. But an excuse? Come on, how old are you? Yeah. Stop making excuses. Take some responsibility. And by the way, men... Do not, true men, do not lose control of themselves. True men learn how to manage and cope and constructively deal with what they are feeling. Yes, you may want to get it out. Yes, you may. And there are constructive ways of getting it out. Mm -hmm. That is okay. But a man does not lose control of himself, a real man. We were told that um, whenever we're whenever we're having a disagreement and neither of us are feeling to the point where it's escalating or we feel triggered by something and we might start to lose control of our emotions or maybe even possibly words, um, we take a 30 minute break. Mm-hmm. That's what he was told to do That's by right. his therapist in the past. And so um, traditionally the person that initiates the hey, I think we need to take a break or I need to take a break and not a break from the relationship, but a break from this conversation right now, because there are some times that people get, you know, like, Oh my God, a break. Um, I feel like I'm, you know, starting to get emotional and I need to take some time to think to myself, the person who initiated that will then be the person to initiate the, the call back or the conversation to go up to the other person. And they say, Hey, um, and then they give the other person like, hey, I'm good to talk. Do you have anything to say? 
And then that's how it starts. And I will say that has worked tremendously for us. Um, in the past, I used to take too much time in between um, to calm down where it almost make it to the point to where you just would gloss over the situation or act like it never happened, which is a lot of times I think what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And then also in my last relationship, it got to the point to where I would ask for a break and I was never given one to the point to where I feel like he wanted to poke the bear to see what he could get. And uh, while I am in control of my emotions, sometimes I felt like it was very hard to be in control of that when I would ask for like, I'm really starting to get mad right now. I don't want to say something that's hurtful. And he'd be like, oh yeah. But that was still on me to make that decision, right? Because I still am the owner of my words. But I do notice that for us, that helps. And I'm curious your take on that or if you think the 30 minutes is, is good enough for that. Very healthy. That's a good therapist. Okay. So when we are not regulated, we can't be rational. We cannot have constructive conflict. Conflict and disagreement is okay. The key is hearing the other person's perspective and being able to either compromise or come to an agreement. You can't do that unless you are calm. Mm -hmm. You have to be regulated in order to stay calm and have constructive conflict. So, the trick that I teach is, and this is all an agreement you come up with when everything is good. Mm -hmm. This is a thing couples don't realize. Have conversations about what's not working when things are good. Mm -hmm. That's when they'll be productive. Okay. Have conversations about where your pain points are when your relationship is, when you're in the most like lovey-dovey place. Because it's easier to receive. Easier to receive. So the technique that I teach is, you have to come up with an agreement ahead of time when you are calm, calling a three. When your emotions feel like they are elevated to a three. Okay. You each say, I'm at a three. So you've got a code word. You've got a signal. And then agree, what's your timeout? So for you guys, 30 minutes works. Mm -hmm. Some couples it's shorter, some couples it's longer, but you must have an agreed upon when we reconvene. Hey, I'm at a three. Got it. You walk away. Both of you have to walk away and physically get away from each other. Do whatever it is that calms you down and regulates you. So if it's a quick run, if it's a book, if it's calling a friend, if it's breathing, doesn't matter. As long as it's healthy and constructive. Uh, screaming into a pillow. That's fine. Okay, that's okay. You're not punching a wall. Like, you get the same effect. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, we're going to come back. And then each person calmly shares their perspective and what they wish to be heard and acknowledged on. If you can do that and then come to an agreement, you resolve conflict much faster and you also prevent conflict. Sometimes you come back at 30 minutes and the other person's not ready. You have to respect that. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's, okay, let's try again in 15 minutes. Or it can also be, hey, we got to table this till tomorrow at 9 a.m. I am really not there. So it's about maturity because you have to each respect and honor and it can't be a weapon. Like it can't be used as stonewalling. Yes. <gasps> 
Like, oh, I can't talk about this right now. (laughs) So we'll deal with it tomorrow. It can't be about avoidance. Yes. But that is a very, very healthy technique to use. Um, I, I call it notice what, where you're at on the scale. If you're at a three, call a three, take a time out, have an agreed upon amount of time, reconvene. Mm-hmm. There are, and in that period of time, identify, am I being stonewalled? Mm-hmm. Am I being criticized? Um, is this person showing disdain for me? Uh, am I being put down? Okay, so these are the big ones that will bring down a relationship. Like the, they call, then they call it the four the horsemen. horsemen. Mm-hmm. The four horsemen. Yeah. So if the four horsemen or one, any combination are present and the antidotes are not being used, that's just a slow death. That is your sign. Like if you can't implement the antidotes to these things, that is your sign. It is time to go. Can you explain the four? Can you talk about the four horsemen really quick? And can you also explain Stonewall in case no one, some people don't know what it is? Yes. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it, but it's not the. Yes. So stonewalling is avoidance, refusing to speak to someone. Uh, the classic, maybe you're on the phone and then they hang up and block you. Mm. That's stonewalling. That's manipulative. That's abusive, in my opinion, professionally. What about shutting down completely and just it comes across as pouting in a way? I've dealt with that for literally days at a time where they refuse to. That's stonewalling or anything. Yes. Refusing to engage. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's stonewalling. Um, Refusing to acknowledge your partner's feelings. That's stonewalling. Criticism, you know, that's putting putting down. Um, nothing you do is right. Uh, disdain or contempt, that is about disrespect of who you are as a person. Do you think that happens from people not talking about their issues and burying them down deep? And then they start to just like build this like case against you in their head. Does that happens sometimes. It, that's like that? about resentment. Okay, that's resentment. Okay, mm-hmm. is that similar to contempt and disdain? Would you say that that's contempt and disdain come from resentment? Got it. Okay, and resentment is about not communicating your feelings mm-hmm. and not asking for your needs to be met. Okay, and there's there are strategies. There's what we call antidotes. So kindness, appreciation. Uh, playing together, hearing the other person's perspective, acknowledging their feelings. These are all the antidotes that could fix these things. And if those are not being implemented, then you're going to stay stuck in this toxic pattern that that won't heal. Mm-hmm. I've been there before. It, we've all done it. Yeah. We've all done it. So I guess a follow-up to all this is there is, so there's no perfect person out there, right? We're all with fault. We're all with flaws. And so I think the biggest thing is you brought up the 80-20. 
that you, you want to yeah. talk about that really quick? Well, that's just something I've heard about before where somebody will be in a relationship with somebody who's giving them 80% of what they want and they will cheat or leave for somebody who has 20% of what that person's not giving. You ever heard of that? Like, no, Mm-mm. where it's like, it's usually for men, it'll have to do with like, you know, the 20% will be kind of like the sex stuff. So you meet somebody who just like wants to jump in bed with you. And so you leave somebody who has like, yeah, yeah. So then they'll leave them to go to somebody who's more spontaneous and stuff. And then they get there and realize that that's like all they have to offer. And then the other person had all this other stuff and they just needed to work on. So I guess it's similar to like looking at the whole person concept, right? So if you look at the whole person and you look at the human that's in front of you that your partner's with, and you're like, they gave me 80% of what I need. Like they're emotionally mature, right? They um, maybe have a good job. They, like they, they treat me, they treat me with love and respect. We can have healthy communication, like all these things. Right. So like 80% of my needs are being met. Um, and I guess sometimes, I guess the question is like, I, I think sometimes people think hundred percent of their needs need to be met. When in reality, I feel like that's almost like codependency, right? So, because you have to be able to give yourself Meet the love, your give yourself yep. the happiness and take care of yourself first, right? Yep. Your partner, I feel like this is my opinion, should be there to enhance your life, not to complete your life. And that's just my take on it. Um, and so I think sometimes we had a tendency of being like, this person is like, on my whole laundry list of things, right? They meet 80% of all the things I love and like big major things, but maybe they aren't as spontaneous or maybe they don't, they're not like super, super hilarious and making me laugh all the time. Like Bob is over there, right? So I guess the thing is, is that sometimes I think people do only focus on the negative. Man, this person's not the spontaneous like person and they're not making me belly laugh 24 seven. And that really frustrates me and we're ignoring all that 80%. So sometimes as humans, we go look for someone who only fulfills that 20% and we get with them and we're like, ooh, yeah, we have that now, but they're missing all the rest of this that this person gave me, right? That's what they're talking about. So I guess in a sense is, the question is, what do you, like, how do you know when you found someone that you feel like gives you enough and versus how do you feel like you're with someone that you might be settling with? Because I think we're not gonna find someone that fulfills everything that we need. Um, but how do you, how do you, I guess, differentiate between this person gives me what I need. There might be some things lacking, but that's going to be natural. And these are things I can work with that aren't like major versus I actually feel like I might be settling now. I need a lot more needs met than what they're giving me. That comes down to... Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to hear the remainder of the episode, please click the link in the caption below, which will bring you to the Patreon page for Big T Energy. We really appreciate all your support. And with your continued support through our Patreon page, we will eventually in the future be able to make this podcast free on all platforms for everyone to listen to. I lost some feeling, girl, I'm jaded. Girl, I'm jaded.